We've been going through a series on ordinary uh, men with extraordinary results, or actually what the title is today, but we're looking at some extraordinary individuals in Scripture. But extraordinary is just simply two words putting together, meaning out of the norm, or not ordinary. And so I think it's interesting, you know, when you look at it, but today we're going to look at a person who is an ordinary man, according to Scripture, with extraordinary accomplishments. The reason I was thinking about it, I've talked about him before, but uh, whatever reason I just felt led to, but this past week, some of you might have remembered we've been praying for James Watt, the guy I work with. He's, uh, he was raised uh, as an orphan, and both his uh, parents were uh, died of cancer. He got cancer a couple of years ago, but he was in clear, uh, clear bill of health. Talked to him even a few weeks ago, even as of November, he was still in clear bill of health. Cancer came back with a vengeance, and they told him he only had a few weeks left and only lasted about three days. But the reason I'm bringing it up, Bob James was just an amazing individual. He was an instrument tech, led the, actually was over all the instrumentation. Uh, wasn't even 40 years of age. His wife's name Debbie. But as Bob, a fellow worker and believer at the refinery, he and I were talking this week, and I brought up James. This was an interesting quote that he gave me. James was the perfect example of a Christian in the workplace. Unsolicited, and it's amazing, there was not one person that has ever said one negative thing about James. Nor did I ever hear him complain one time. He always had a smile on his face, and always talked about the Lord, and the Lord was in charge. So it's amazing. In fact, when it came out, the only time and we've had obviously a place of that much, like large, a lot of retirees have gone, uh, died and so on. But this was a statement that was put out by the refiner about how fine a man that he was and saying that James was thinking about you all and that he asked for the funeral not to be done during working hours so that none of you would have to miss work if you wanted to come to his funeral. That was his last request. So you think about it. I would say he was a had some extraordinary thing. Why God took him early, I don't know. But I want us to look today at a man who was ordinary man with extraordinary accomplishments. And the reason for it is, I think, when most of you and I say we're ordinary, I think most of us are just ordinary people. But how many of us limit ourselves? So let's look at him. We'll look at his character first of all. Look over in James chapter 5. And I there's a lot to cover, but who knows? I might have to take two weeks. James chapter 5. Talking about his character. And we'll start in verse 16. And in the Old Testament, while you're turning there, who is probably the most famous prophet of the Old Testament? Elijah. But you realize that Elisha did more miracles, recorded miracles. Only one other person did more recorded miracles in the Bible, and that was Jesus. And not a lot more is written about Elisha. But why is it Elijah is so, and you also have, you remember the spirit of Elijah, and then you have John the Baptist, you have the, the Revelation 11, the two witnesses, talks about the, uh, 
spirit of Elijah. But look in verse 16 down to 18 of James 5. Let's look at his character first of all. Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man of nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again, the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Look at his character. He has a nature like what? Ours. So he wasn't some super individual. I think it's important for us to recognize right away he has a nature just like you and me. Second of all, he says he's a righteous man. What does righteous man mean? Standing. When you think about it, a righteous has the right standing before God. According to 1 John chapter 1, if you have a right standing before God, you're walking in the light as what? As He is in the light. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7, you're walking the same manner as He walked. So if you want to be a righteous individual, you have to walk like Jesus walked and walking in fellowship. And, and it says here that Elijah was. No, Scripture says he's righteous. Scripture says he has a nature like ours. What's interesting, he describes his prayer life. It says that it's effectual prayer. He prayed earnestly. How would you describe earnestly? We have other places in Scripture where this is used. When Jesus was praying in the Mount, you know, at Gethsemane, he said he prayed intensely. The Lord, take this what? Cup from me? Talk about even uh, sweat of great drops of blood? That's pretty intense. How many of us pray like that? It also says fervently, another way of looking at it, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, you think about it with Peter. Remember Peter was in prison, and it says the church gathered and they prayed fervently for his release, and then they all were astonished what? Mm-hmm. When he was released, and they thought it was an angel, and it couldn't be the true, real, the real God, but they prayed. You think about it. One other is two people other than than uh, which you have here with Elijah. If you remember, Jesus was said to pray for, uh, fervently or earnestly. But there's also a man in Colossians chapter four and verse twelve, Epaphras or Epaphras, how you want to describe it. It said that he labored earnestly for the church at Colossae in prayer. And so you think about it, we can have a nature just like him, John, the, uh, just like uh, Elijah. But how of us? have that kind of a prayer life. It's up to who? Okay, it's up to God to answer, which he's praying in according to the will of God, because when he prays not to reign, that's in First Kings chapter 17, God told it. And then in chapter 18, God says, go present yourself to Ahab, I'm going to bring rain. So when he prays for rain, he's praying in accordance to the will of God. It wasn't something he was making up. But still, he's praying in accordance to the Lord again. But how of us truly believe? When we go to God in prayer, do we truly believe if it's his will, he can do this, and we pray fervently and earnestly about it? That's one of the things that our charismatic brothers and sisters are usually pretty good at. We can learn from. So think about it. <clears throat> By the way, too, it said he, he prayed specifically. Don't rain, rain. That's pretty specific. He prayed very specifically. How many of us are our prayers very specific? Lord bless all the missionaries in the world. Are we very specific? Very specific. So you think about it. 
His character. He has a nature like what? Like us. Nature like us. He's a righteous man. Meaning he has a right standing before God. <clears throat> Was he a prayer warrior? Earnestly, faithfully, according to God's will. So you can ask yourself, <clears throat> how is your character described? Notice this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament when James described it in this way. How would we be described? How was our prayer life described? It's interesting, totally unsolicited, how James' co-worker, how God, he was described by other people at the plant. So think about it. So notice that's his character. Let's look a little bit about his conduct. Look over in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to be in... Uh, we're going to start in 16, actually, to get a little bit of the background. What was the reference? First, 1 Kings chapter 16. And uh, it'll probably take us two weeks. I can see my time's rapidly flying by. But we can see that his character, look at his conduct. But the, you think about the time that he's looking. Chapter 16 and verse 30, look what he's up against. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That's quite a character, isn't it? Mm. Notice 31. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. What do you think about him? He's walking just after the, the bad guys, and he thinks it's just trivia, so much so that he chooses to go marry who? Jezebel. Jezebel. She's the daughter of who? Ethbal, Baal, which is the king of Sidon, and their worship, their Baal worshippers. So he decides to go even a step further and marry the daughter of the Sidon king, which was he supposed to be doing that? No. And as a result, he erects Baal uh, house in Samaria, and uh, he also does female deities uh, that you find in 33. Notice in 33, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, how would you like to be Elijah? Who are you going up against? Who are you representing? And is your nature just like yours and mine? That's what it says, doesn't it? Nature is just like us, but he has a prayer warrior and he has a God. What does Elijah's name mean? Two words put together. Yahweh is God. So here you have the battle that's going on between the true God and the Baal worshippers. So here you have it. So he goes up, and you notice in verse seventeen, uh, chapter seventeen, verse one, he goes to Ahab because of his wickedness, and he says, "As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word." How many of you would have enough faith to go out on a limb and say, "God told me, because of your sin and the sin of this people, we were not going to have rain." Until I pray and God tells me and keep praying. How many of us believe God's word that much? And by the way, why would God choose rain? 
No rain. What's so big about rain? There's no food if there's no crops. Baal is the god of what? There you go. So, if Baal is supposed to be over, then he ought to be able to bring rain, hadn't he? And ought to be able to be over nature. By the way, where did Baal, where was he supposedly supposed to live? It's in the story. resurrected every spring? But he would, his residence that was believed was at Mount Carmel. Where in the next chapter does he decide to challenge them at? Now you're getting more of the story when you think about it, what's taking place. So notice in the first part, he challenges them. Notice in verse 2 then, you have flying in food from verse 2 to 7. When the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Jareth, which is east of the Jordan. The brook, that particular brook would flow during the rainy seasons, but then would dry up. Now, how would you like to be told to go to a place that if you're going to have a drought, what's going to happen? Okay, that's not too far, by the way, from here. He's a Tishbite. It wouldn't have been real far from where he, where he grew up. And it shall be about, you shall drink of the brook, now I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. What kind of bird is a raven? Okay, according to Luke, uh, excuse me, Leviticus eleven fifteen, were, they, were you supposed to have anything to do with the ravens? No, they're scavengers. We're supposed to have anything to do with them. In fact, if you look in Job thirty eight verse fifteen, what does Job tell you about ravens? They will leave their young to starve and die. So you mean God is telling me to go to a brook that's going to dry up and I'm going to have ravens who won't even take care of their young who are scavengers and they're going to bring me food every morning and every evening. And if they're a scavenger, what kind of food are they bringing me? Yum, yum. What would you do? He has a nature like what? And notice what it says. Verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Jareth, which is east of the Jordan. And the, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. The word there for bread actually can mean food. So it could be literally bread, or it could be fruit, it could be nuts, or doing whatever. And we don't know where they got it from. But the ravens, obviously, are answerable to God. So they could have brought him anything. But our, we're supposed to do what if God brings us something? Be thankful, right? How many of you be thankful for what they were bringing? You think about it. Notice in verse 7, It happened that after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain there. Okay? Are you watching that brook dry up? If you're Elijah? If it's drying up, you can see it happening every day. How long are you supposed to stay at the brook? You mean, though it's drying up and it completely dries up and you're still supposed to stay there? You stay there until He tells you, but what would most of us do? Most of us take matters into our own hands, right? 
So notice, and he's told to stay there, and he does. And that was his pattern. You notice he does exactly what he's told to do. And uh, obviously the problem, it's drying up. I want you to think about the flying and food. Am I willing to go wherever God wants me to go? Or how many of you are, am I willing to eat whatever God provides? You go on a mission trip, and I'll guarantee you, you will be asked to eat some stuff that you will not think is fit for anything to eat. Is that right, Jean? <laughs> Why don't you tell them what you were asked to eat? Bird nest soup. Which is what? Literal droppings out of a bird nest. And that's a delicacy, and you're over there, and you're trying to witness to the people who invited you to come eat. Or some of the other stuff that you were asked to eat when you're overseas. And doesn't the book of Acts tell us to not ask, just be thankful and move on? It is not easy. But you're being watched. And you, i never forget the prayer that I said, you know, when he talks about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, in Philippians chapter 4, 3. I switched that to I can follow all things. I, I that was literally my prayer. Boy, some of that stuff, seek cucumber. You guys like it, power to you. But boy, that's the Thank God I had some water because I, I needed every every ounce of it. What about, will I stay in a place until he tells me otherwise? You see everything going around. You see it all drying up. And, I, you know, if, if it's becoming stagnant, how many of you want to drink out of stuff as it's drying up? When is the disease going to be the most rampant? But you're told to stay there, so you do. Notice then, it's, whose responsibility is it to take care of you? God's. God's. Okay, so you stay there and you put the responsibility on Him. Notice what happens then in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord said to him, Rise and go to Zareth, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now where is that? That's where Jezebel is from. Okay. So if you're looking at it, if you had this, if the across the Jordan River, you're on this side down low, and you're supposed to go all the way across up to Sidon on the other side. You're going all the way through Ahab's territory, and you're also going in to the territory where Jezebel's family's from. And they're all looking for you and they're all trying to kill you and it's 90 miles away. God tells you to go. Does He tell you how He's going to provide for you? In the next chapter, they're trying to kill you. How do you want to go out in some open territory where everybody's looking for you? You're told to go to a place that is under Baal worship, and you're told that a widow is going to take care of who would be the first ones affected by a famine, which they are likewise under a famine. The widows. They don't own land and everything else. And an orphan. And notice, also, you think about it, when you look at it, it's a Gentile. We know according to Luke chapter 4, the reason why God sent her to a Gentile, because he wants to reprimand Israel for their uh, sin and their lack of faith. But if you are Elijah, how many of you are going to be willing to say, I'm going that far to a widow? How could she provide for me? How many of you are willing to walk and do what God tells you to do? 
And then if you look at it, he says, I've commanded the widow to provide. So somehow she is a worshiper of the true God, and God's told her, but what does she have? If you know the story, what does she have? She's being told ahead of time, but what does she have? She has enough for one meal. You think about it. Would you say you're in some dire straits? Both of you. So you think at it. Notice the place. You notice the person. And notice then he goes. So as soon as he's told, he gets up and he goes. Obedient. We don't know how long it took him to get there. And he gets there. He sees a, a widow gathering sticks. And he called her and please give me a drink of water in that jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and says, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Ah, how easy would that be to do? We know the story. She says, but as the Lord your God lives, he is a true worshiper of God. I have no bread, only a handful of flour, in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. Behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in, prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it, and then die, starve. Now, how would you be right now if you were Elijah? What did God, does he have a food? What's his nature like? And God says you're supposed to go to a widow and she's going to provide. You've got to the widow and God told you that the widow was going to provide. So do you have God's direction that she will provide or that she can provide? But what physical evidence do you have? None. You only have his word, his promises. Do you and I have God's promises? We have but how many of us believe God's promises? Or do we only use our senses? Elijah believed it enough to where he told her what? Notice 13. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you said, but make a little bread cake for me first. Well, if he does that, what's left? And bring it out to me. And afterwards you may make one for yourself and for your son. Is that possible? <laughs> Notice a walk of faith. He is going out by a walk of faith to tell her what's going to happen when it's not possible based on God's Word. And she has to believe God's Word through Elijah and do it. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So you have enough for one meal. And every day you make the one meal, and what happens? Give us this day what? It's an act of faith every single day. And notice it says, So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor the jar of oil become empty according to the word of God, which he spoke through Elijah. If he was at the brook for six months, he ate flour, bread cakes, and water. How long? Hmm? Six months. But for six months at the brook, where did we just guessing? You know, how long it took it to dry up? And it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now he's going to have to go challenge and so on. So it probably takes six months. So at least two, roughly two and a half years. Two and a half years every day. Okay. How many of you get a little tired of eating the same thing? 
Did God provide? You think about the miracles that are taking place. He has a nature just like who? Every day they're walking by faith. And it's interesting, why did he first, God send a raven? Was he preparing Elijah for when he would have to go to the Gentile? He's providing it for all of them. It's interesting when you look at it. So here you have the, you have the, the part. Do I believe and, and claim God's promise? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. How many of us do? You know, in Philippians 2, I can do all things through what? My God shall supply all your needs. How many of us believe? See here, flying in food, they did. You have flour for food. It's interesting, you now have faith to restore. And you look at it, you'll notice in the next, in 17, the woman has a son and he becomes sick and it's sick the way he dies. And if you notice, it says then she believes that because he's a man of God that there's some sin she's committed in the past doesn't say what it is. She believes that God's now punishing her by the death of her son. And it certainly can be. We certainly can have sin. certainly can cause sickness and death. First Corinthians tells us that as well. And notice then what would happen if you were Elijah. God hadn't told him anything about this. This caught him off guard. You don't think about it. So far in Scripture, has there ever been a person who died and was brought back to life this far in Scripture? And what does Elijah ask? Bring me the child. He has a nature like what? And he starts to pray and puts his body. Notice it wasn't just once. It wasn't just twice. Three times he's praying and asking God for what? A miracle. A miracle. Something that had never happened before that is in recorded history. Although Abraham believed it would have happened to Isaac had Isaac been taken. It's certainly, Abraham had the same type of faith. But it's still, it's, it's interesting. And, he's, and God certainly could have done it. And we just started the scripture. But how many of us would have that kind of faith? You think about it. He's walking, he's doing all these things. It's getting him ready for the next chapter and the next two chapters when he has even harder things to face. All these things are stepping stones in people's lives. But notice he finishes one walk of faith and where does God take him then? Another walk of faith. And then God takes him to what? Another walk of faith. How many of us wish we just had to do one? It doesn't happen that way. So rather than cover the, the other parts, why don't you think about it? Do I have enough faith to go and ask God for the impossible. Why is George Mueller so greatly respected? How is it that he could tell the kids in that orphanage to sit down and we're going to thank God for the food that we're going to about to eat and they did not have one thing in the orphanage to eat? He claimed God's promises and just so happened that the bread guy breaks down outside and just so happens that the milk guy breaks down and they bring in the food. He doesn't know that. What, but he had the, a faith to do it. 
you think about it, was there, is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity? It's an, it's an you know, you know, interesting question you think about it. You notice also God didn't reveal it before him. If God had revealed to it before him, some of us might not have slept too well for a while. How many of you are glad God doesn't reveal a lot of things before we have to face it? So let's think about it when you look at it, just with Elijah. We'll try to finish it up next week since I didn't, obviously, unless you guys would like to stay another hour. <laughs> half hour. Let's think about his character. Does he have a nature like ours? But he is righteous. Now that's a guy question we have to then say, if I'm going to be righteous, I have to do what? I have to walk in the light. Is he in the light doing what he would do? And do I pray fervently, believing earnestly in his will? And then you also have, whenever he tells me to go do something, however big or small it is, when it doesn't make sense, go to the brook that's going to dry up. Are you going to go? How long do you stay there? If he tells you to eat food that's been touched by ravens, what do you do? You eat it. If he's told to go to a widow who doesn't have anything and she's going to provide for you, and how many of us, if we were the widow, would we provide for a foreigner? What would we probably tell him? <clears throat> go back home and have somebody down there help you. It's your God that caused the famine to begin with. That's why a lot of us are very sorry. So let's think about it. You have a, a man of an ordinary like us, but extraordinary accomplishments because he walked according to God's will and did what God told him to do. And we can do the same if we so choose. But if we choose to do it, is there going to be a time or two or three or four where it's not going to make sense? How many of these things that happened to Elijah made any sense? But that's why it's a walk of faith. As you have come to him, Colossians 2 and verse 6, so likewise walk. I wasn't there when Christ died for my sins. That's a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith today too.